You are listening to a message that was given at Living Word Chapel, Oracle, Arizona. It is our hope and prayer that God will use this message to speak to you and enrich your life. For more information, visit lwcoracle.org. So we are in week five of this series that I started titled Dear Church, and we've been looking at the letters that the Apostle John wrote to the church in the first century, uh, the churches in Ephesus and Smyrna and Pergamum and Thyatira, and then today we're looking at Sardis, next week we'll look at Philadelphia, and then Laodicea is where we're going to com- complete the series. And, uh, and, and we've been talking about uh, uh, just how, how God really cares about the church. Think about this. Think about this. Jesus wrote specific letters to a local church in different areas. And the reason for that is because God cares about the church. God cares about you being here. God wants to speak to you as you're in here in fellowship and as you're in here uh, waiting to hear his message. And that's exactly what was going on in this time. And I, I, every sermon I've been bringing out the, the reality that there are four major views when it comes to eschatology. That's a big word. It just means end times, uh, especially the millennium, the, the thousand years. And there's, there's four very, very good positions uh, as they look at these different, uh, at, at the millennium. Uh, and all of them have great scholarship. They've got great theologians that, that uh, take a position, and, uh, and they disagree on certain things. Um, and what I've said is what we're dealing with in this series is the reality that we all agree on one thing, and we agree that Jesus Christ is coming back to this earth, and he will, he will raise the dead, and he will restore the lives of those who are alive in Christ, and we will be with him forever. And that's called the second coming. That, nobody argues about that. Uh, that's a Christ follower. And, uh, and then the, I've also said that one of the things that is vitally important is that uh, Jesus said, no one knows the day nor the hour. When he will come back, he'll come back like a thief in the night. And so it tells us that we should uh, have an attitude uh, waiting for him to come back. And, and we've talked about the attitudes. Uh, there are seven that I'm going to be bringing to you, and I want to go through them right now. So if you have your outline, pull out your outline, and uh, let's go through them as we go through uh, the, uh, this part right here. Uh, first week, we talked about we should be eagerly waiting for Christ's return. Uh, if you're eagerly waiting for Christ's return, say amen. amen. If you want him to wait another week, just say, wait a week, right? But we should be eagerly waiting. Why? Because this is not our home. We're like pilgrims passing through. Uh, we're going to a place where there's no more cancer. There's no more dementia. There's no more Alzheimer's. There's no more molestations. There's no more rape. There's no more uh, shootings at uh, massacres at, uh, at Walmart and schools. There's none of that. There's peace. There's joy. All these things. So we eagerly await for him to return. We also, second attitude, we want to love his appearing. 
We, we, when he comes back, we're going to see him face to face. And we talk about Jesus all the time. And he's present with us through the power of his Holy Spirit. But we are not seeing him physically face to face. We're going to see the glorified Christ one of these days. And it's kind of like when Shauna went to visit Stephen and, and Ava, our, our grandkids. They saw her face to face and they go, woohoo, grandma's here. And some of us are going to be going like that, woohoo, Jesus is here. Raise the roof. We're going to raise the roof. Right? Because Jesus is coming back, so we love his appearing. But through this time, we exercise patience. Some people are going to say, well, you said Jesus is coming back. When is he going to come back? Peter addressed that. He's not slow in his return, but he's patient, not wanting for any person to perish, but that all will come to repentance into the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Your neighbor that's not saved, Jesus is being patient And he's waiting. He wants for that neighbor to be saved, that family member that doesn't know Christ. Jesus is patiently waiting. He says, be patient and and show them my love. Show them my grace. Show them my mercy. So eagerly, uh, I mean, exercise patience. And then the last one that we, uh, last week, purify ourselves. Because God is holy, we also want to live holy. And we talked about sanctification that there is a positional sanctification. We've been set apart. We were in the domain of darkness over here, but God transferred us. When you believed in Jesus, he transferred you into the kingdom of his beloved son. And now you're a child of light. You're a child of restoration. You are holy and set apart, not because of your doing, but because of the blood of Christ that covers us and washes us clean from all our unrighteousness. But in that As we live our life with Jesus, we're continuously, progressively being sanctified. We don't talk the way we used to talk. I don't say the words that I said this morning. I don't say the, I don't think the way I thought last week. I don't don't treat my wife the way I treated her at one time. My wife doesn't treat me the way she treated me. We're progressively becoming more like Christ and more loving. And then today, the fifth attitude that I want us to look at, every follower of Jesus, is we should stay alert and we should be watchful. It goes hand in hand with purifying ourselves from everything that is contrary to God's purposes for our lives. It's, it's an attitude that puts an emphasis on he's coming like a thief in the night. So we should be ready and we should be watchful. In my neighborhood, if, 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 my, if my neighbor three houses down gets broken into, and then the, the, the next week my neighbor four houses down gets broken into, and they didn't know what was gonna, that it was going to hit them, then every person in the neighborhood, you start talking, you say, you need to be careful, be, be watchful, be alert, because there's someone breaking in, and you hear a noise. Outside, and you look out your window, and you're watchful because that might be the robber. So Jesus said, no one knows the day nor the hour. We need to be watchful. We need to be alert. We need to be watching for him. In Mark's gospel, we read the, the, the words of Jesus, and he says this in verse 32 of chapter 13. He says, but about the day or hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven or the Son, but only the Father. So let me say this again. Who knows about Jesus' return? Your neighbor? The, yeah, yeah, the Father. Preacher down the street? No. Jesus said, not even I know in, in, that, in that place where he was at, in his, in his messianic uh, place where he was at. He said, I, I don't even know. 
but only the Father. And then he says, verse 33, be on guard. Be alert. You do not know when the time will come. So the key phrase is be on guard. Stay alert. God doesn't want for you to have to say, we should have known better. I should have known better. I should have been watching. I should have oil in my lamp. I should be, 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 be a beacon of hope and of grace. I should be ready for when he comes. He goes on to say in verse 34, he says, and 35, it's like a man going away, going away, he gives a parable. He leaves his house and puts his servants in charge. Each with their assigned task. Let's just pause right there. God has gone. Jesus has, has, has been ascended into heaven. He left, uh, he left you here on this earth. He gave everyone a task. Everyone has an assignment. Everyone has a, a lane that we should be going and walking in. Glorifying God. Walking in the goodness of God. He, he, he keeps on saying, he says this. And he tells the one at the door to Keep watch. Therefore, keep watch because you do not know when the owner of the house will come back, whether in the evening or at midnight or when the rooster crows or at dawn. There's four different times there. And it teaches us to always be alert with spiritual eyes, with spiritual ears, watching and looking for our Redeemer. Look for our redemption draws near. Not with fear, not with anxiety. No one that's a Christian should, all, should be fearful and anxious about Jesus' return, but we should be anticipating with excitement. There's a party that's going to happen. There's a, there's a feast. It's a, it's a marriage feast where the Bridegroom, the lamb, and the bride, the church, are going to come, and we're going to throw a cumbia, a baile, baile por Jesucristo, right? And it's just going to be amazing, and we should be, be looking forward to that with anticipation. It's going to be a wonderful thing, but we should be watchful. We should be alert. So last week, we looked at the church in, in Thyatira. On one side of the tracks, the other side of the tracks would be Thyatira, whichever one you want to call it. It's like Lordsburg and Loris, Albuquerque and Burke. Depends where you're at. But Thyatira, this church, and it was commended. It was commended for their love, that church. She was commended for their love. She was commended for their service, their faith. And they were commended for their endurance. And the message paraphrase puts it like this. God was impressed he was very impressed with everything that they were doing, but they, they were doing so many things right, but then he rebuked them from be, for, for being poisoned from the inside, not being corrupted from the outside. And he talked to this church. He says, you're being poisoned from the inside. You are, you are falling prey to this spirit of Jezebel, this seductive spirit, this, this, this spirit that is bringing in uh, fornication and bringing sexual immorality into the church, and you're falling prey into it, and it's, it's destroying so many people. And here's the thing, beloved, and I mentioned it last week. Every church, every ministry is vulnerable to falling trap into these kinds of things. 
And usually it happens, and you see it here in the, in the church of, of Thyatira. It happens when, when things are going well, when, 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 when God is bringing a lot of people and he's doing a lot of wonderful things, and you can get complacent. You can get to the place where you're not watchful. And this spirit of, of, of sexual immorality, this spirit of, of fornication, this spirit of, of sexual sin can penetrate that place. And usually it happens, and we've seen it over and over and over again. Usually it happens because you put something above God. And any time that we put anything or anyone above God, it becomes your idol. And when that happens, there's a, there's a very good possibility that you're going to fall into this, this sexual sin because they go hand in hand together. So we saw that. And, 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 and I, I mentioned all of us should take a step back as a church, as a church body, because God is doing some wonderful things at Living Word Chapel Oracle, and he's doing wonderful things at Living Word Chapel Kearney. And we take a step back and we say, Lord, protect us from the sin that could come and penetrate the leadership, penetrate those in the church. Lord, keep us away from things that are going to keep us away from you. Take us away from you, from the pastor to the elders to the praise team to every person that sits in the seats May we honor you with our lives. And the only way that we can do it is if you lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one through the power of God. And so we come to this place now in week five, and we look at the church in Sardis. And what you need to know from the background, it helps us to understand how, how this church the culture of this church, it helps us to understand by the culture of the community. Can, can I tell you that all of us are a product of our culture? We really are. 25 years ago, this, this, this community, this was a mining community. The tri-community, Oracle, San Manuel, Mammoth, tri-community. It was, it was a product of, of, of the, the copper mine, the world's largest copper mine, underground copper mine, uh, it, it, it was here. And, and so it shaped the culture. It was a lot of mining mentality. Now, 25 years later, it's changed progressively. This is the same thing that was happening in Sardis. Sardis, that city, uh, was a very, uh, uh, very, very great city in the ancient world. It had a major trade route that went through the city. Everything went through Sardis. So economically, it was very, very, very affluent. And so as we see that, um, it was built, another important thing, it was built on a mountain, on a mount. 1,500 feet above everything else was this city called Sardis. And so it was, in, to, to most people, it was not penetratable. They couldn't, the enemies could not get there because it was on this mountain. And it was also a very, very rich fertile soil. It was rich in gold. All around it, gold was mined, and that prospered the people of that, that city. In fact, gold and silver coins were first minted there in Sardis of all the cities in Asia. They, those were where the coins started out. And so everyone knew about, about the riches there of, uh, uh, of Sardis. They had a king by the name of Croesus. And I don't even know if that's his name, but you won't know either unless you knew him personally. And C-R-O-E-S-U-S, he, uh, when they say you're as rich as Croesus, that's where they get the term. I've never said that, so, but that's what they say. 
It was very spiritual, and they also worshipped in this place the, the, the goddess Diana, and as they did in Ephesus. And, and when they worshipped the god of Diana in Ephesus, they worshipped with, remember what, I, what, what we learned, that they worshipped with a thousand temple prostitutes. So there was a lot of fornication. There was a lot of sexual immorality that came with that type of worship. So that, was a, the, 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 that permeated the city as well. The city was destroyed by an earthquake in A.D. 17. And then it was rebuilt by the uh, Roman emperor Tiberius. And the people, after he rebuilt the city, they built an, a, a temple and they worshipped Tiberius with all the other gods. Now, here's an important note. Jesus, as he wrote to all the other churches, he found faults in the other churches that, we, that we've learned about. But he always commended them for something. He always found something good. In Sardis, he didn't commend them for anything. That's kind of a sobering, sobering thought. And what you find is that all the people around him, all the people around him said that this, this church was alive. And Jesus says, I don't see that. And so it kind of speaks to us in, 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 in our modern days, what is Jesus seeing in our church in Oracle? What is he seeing in the American church? What is he, what is he looking at? And it helps us to submit ourselves to his direction and his guidance. Let's pray as we go to the word. Father, thank you, Lord, for uh, bringing us together in this second service. As always, I pray your blessing upon every, every mind, every heart. I pray for spiritual ears to be open to hear you as we open the word of God and, and, and discuss it. I pray for a, a, a spiritual heart of understanding to receive everything that you have uh, and Lord, use me as your messenger. I pray that I will speak in a way that brings glory to you, that I'll speak in a way, Lord, that, uh, that will honor you and uh, that you will be very pleased. I am just your messenger, uh, and I pray that the greatest message that's ever been known to man will come and be delivered through my lips. Uh, so we pray this in Jesus' name, and everyone said, amen. So here, here's how it starts out. Chapter 3, verse 1. I'm reading from the ESV. It says, and to the angel or the messenger of the church in Sardis, write the words of him who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your works. You have the reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Wake up and strengthen what remains and is about to die. For I have not found your works complete in the sight of my God. Verse 3, remember then what you received and heard. Keep it and repent. If you will not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will not know at what hour I will come against you. Yet you have still a few names in Sardis, people who have not soiled their garments, and they will walk with me in white, for they are worthy. The one who conquers will be clothed, Thus, in white garments, and I will never blot his, I'm going to say her name, out of the book of life. I will confess his and her name before my father and before his angels. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Wow. That's a sobering letter right there. 
what, what can we learn from Jesus' words, from his concerns to Sardis in our modern times? Here's, here's the first thing that I see. Beware when the world around you thinks that we're all that, but the Lord says that we're not any of that. Amen? Be, beware when the world around us thinks that we're all that, but the Lord says that we're not any of that. What, what the world says about the church is not as important as what the Lord says about his church. I don't know about you, but I, I really enjoy being liked. I really enjoy being talked about in a positive way. I really like for people to celebrate me. I really like for people to celebrate Living Word Chapel. But when, when I read this, it really speaks to my heart about being more concerned about what God says about me than what people say about me. It, it really speaks to me about being more concerned about what God says about the church than what the world says about the church. And even further, even what other churches say about the church. The message paraphrase puts it like this. It says, I see right through your work. You have a reputation for vigor and for zest, but you're dead, stone dead. In other words, God sees what's the agenda in our, in our heart. He sees what's the agenda in our ministry. What are the motives in our personal lives? What are the motives in our ministry? Jesus sees right through your work. The writer of Hebrews put it like this. He says, for the word of God, and that's who Jesus is, for the word of God is alive and powerful. It is sharper than the sharpest two-edged sword cutting between soul and spirit, between joint and marrow. It exposes our innermost thoughts and desires. Soul and spirit, they represent the spiritual intention of a person. In other words, the things that you don't see, God sees. What's in your, what's in your heart, the things that are in your spirit, the immaterial part of us, our thoughts, our hearts, what we deal with internally. It was, it was Cheryl saying right here, this battle that was going on as she was singing. How many of you know that there's a battle? There's a battle going on in some of your minds right now. There are, there are things going on in your mind that we don't see, but God does. She said, I'm singing right now to God, and in, in, my, in my mind, I'm thinking, you're, you're, you're not worth it. And she's singing praises to God. And she's battling through this, and, 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 and some of us don't even understand what's going on because we have our own battles. That's that, that's that internal battle that we have going on. Jesus sees right through it. And then the physical aspect of what we are, that's the things that we do, the, the actual things that we touch, the way that we live. And God says, I see all that. My, my, my word is, a, is like a two-edged sword. I'll split the intentions of the heart. I'll see, I split the agenda of a person, the motives that are going on. And when people say that you're alive, and God says that you're dead, we need to quicken our hearts to God. When, 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 when people around us are saying, man, you're, you're amazing, you're an amazing church, I think it's vitally important that we seek the counsel of God and say, are we amazing to you, Lord? Are we walking in your statutes? Are we walking in your ways? Because it's one thing to be alive to the world, but another thing to be alive unto our God. 
You know, people's assessment of God's work and God's assessment is always at different sides of the pendulum. I've said it many times that the Lord has placed Shauna in my life. She is an amazing woman. I love her. And one of the greatest things that she has brought into my life is balance. I have the Holy Spirit, and he's, a, he's a, the, the, the greatest influencer in my life. He's primary in my convictions and in, in my guidance and my, and my leading through his word. But I also have Shauna, who, who God has allowed to be a part of my life. And when people say to me, PJ, man, you're, you're awesome. Man, that's awesome what, what you're doing. My wife is very quick to say to me, babe, you ain't all that in a bag of chips. Very quick to say, to, to, to put me in proper perspective. And yet when people say to me, hey, man, you ain't all that. You're nothing. You're, you're no good for that. If I receive a letter or an email and it says some things that are really negative, my wife is very quick to come to my side and say, you know what, babe? I think you're pretty incredible. When I feel horrible about a message that I preach and I say, man, that was horrible. She says, just stop. When you said this, it really spoke to my heart. I listen when you said this. And, and so she keeps me in balance, and that's the way God is. You know, God, he, it's, it's, we have to be very careful when everyone around us is always telling us, you're so good, 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 you're so good. <laughs> Jamie, you're so good. I'm going to say it again. But God says, be careful. Because he'll say, you're not that good, you're not that good. You need Jesus in your life. Right? And, and so, so the reality is that we, all of us need to take a, take a step back. And, and we need to really think that if you're not being persecuted as a Christian, there's something wrong. If you're not being attacked as a church, there's something that is not right. Paul, as he writes to Timothy, he says this in 2 Timothy chapter 3. He says, all who desire to live a godly life will, in Christ, in Christ Jesus, will be persecuted. Every church that's making a difference for the glory of God will have some battles. Smyrna. Smyrna is the only church that we have seen that he didn't find anything wrong. And they, they, they thought they were poor. And Jesus said, you're rich. I got your back. They were attacked from the inside. Satan had penetrated the church, and they were being attacked from the inside. Some of the, 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 the church leaders had, were putting some of the other church people in prison. He said, Satan is working in your church. And he's telling them, he says, you were persecuted, but be of, be of good cheer. Persevere. Push through. And I'll be with you. Every one of us, beloved, are going to be persecuted, and we're going to go through our battles when we're serving the purposes of God. Every church is going to go through difficulties as we serve the purposes of God. Now, here, let's pause right there, because this is important. I do believe that even with all this, that every church is called to make a difference in our community. Jesus said, you are the light of the world. Not the light of the church. You're the light in the church. You are the church. You're the light of the world. You're, you, are, you are a beacon of hope. 
You are the salt of the earth. You're not the salt in the church building. You're the salt in the community. And so I've always said it that, that every church, every church that's walking out the purposes of God, every community should be better because of the church. Amen? If the, if the church was, was to shut down the doors tomorrow, would our communities say, where's Living Word Chapel at? That's how much of a difference we should be making in our communities. But we don't make a difference in our community for them to applaud us. We make a difference in our community so that God will say, well done, good and faithful servant. We don't make a difference in our community so that we can appease our communities. We make a difference for the glory of God, no matter if we have to make the choices following the convictions of the Holy Spirit. Amen? Here's the second thing that, that I see that we, we need to watch for. The danger of a busy church that lacks to complete the work of Christ. Apparently, Sardis didn't even recognize that they were dead. They didn't even recognize that this was going on. And, and Jesus, I love how the, the, the message puts it. He says in verse 2, up on your feet. Take a deep breath. Maybe there's life in you yet. In other words, you're dying. Take a deep breath. Everybody take a deep breath. Take a deep breath. Uh, maybe there's life in you. But I wouldn't know it by looking at your busy work. Nothing of God's work has been completed. He says, you are busy, but you're dead. You're busy, but you're not completing the work of God. You're busy. You're doing all kinds of things. You ever heard talk to someone and say, oh, I'm just so busy. How you doing? I'm just busy. You're busy, but you're not completing the work of God. And, and, and he, he says to them, here's the thing is you're spinning your wheels. This church was spinning their wheels, but nothing that they were doing was bringing glory to God. It might have been bringing glory to them. He said it himself. He said, everyone around you is impressed but all I see is dust and no productivity. Nothing being produced for my glory. I'm, I'm going to tell you something that's vital to your spiritual health because the Lord spoke that to me as I was putting this together. Busyness does not mean effectiveness. In your life, personal life, or in your ministry, God is not impressed with your busyness, and neither is your family. Your family is not impressed when you're too busy to do things that count. And, and you, especially, hear me now, think about the investment of, and, and I thank the Lord for this, think about the investment of Shauna going to, to, to spend time with our family, but what, what she did when she poured the word into my grandkids is greater than any pineapple upside-down cake she could have made them. It's greater than any plate of tacos with, with, with frijoles and rice, and that's good stuff. It's greater. Pouring the word of God for them to memorize a scripture is more important for their eternal well-being than a temporary enjoyment. Pouring God into your family is greater than you taking them to Disneyland, beloved or even you taking them hunting, or even you doing this or doing that, the greatest thing that we could employ into our families is Jesus. Amen. He said, you're busy, 
but you aren't doing anything to complete the work of God. And then he went on, and I love the way the message put it, verse 3. He said, your condition is desperate. Here they thought they were alive. Here everyone was saying, oh, I love this church. The church in Sardis, they got gold and silver and copper. And they got this and they got that. And he said, Jesus said, your condition is desperate. Think of, think of the, he says, think of the gift you once had in your hands. The message you heard with your ears. Grasp it again and turn back to God. Think of this, this gift that you, that you had in your hands, this, this gift of salvation, this gift of walking in, in fellowship with me, this communion that you had with me, and you're busy doing all kinds of things. You're so busy, but your works are not completing the things of God, and it's making you desperately dead to the things that are important to me. And so God speaks to us in those times that, that we're doing and we're doing and we're doing and we're doing and we're giving and we're giving and we're giving and we're like Martha and we're, we get mad at the, at, at the Marys who sit at the feet of Jesus because they know that they need to be poured into because what he gives will last. And when we receive what he gives, we give what he gave, and it brings glory to his name. And your life is more peaceful, and your relationships are better, and your work is different because everything you do is done through the power and the love of Jesus Christ. So he tells his church in Sardis, you need to, you need to wake up. You need to wake up. You need to pause and do the things that are important. And here's number three. The danger of a gospel that confesses everything else except Jesus. Jesus gave a very strong warning to this church. When I read it, it, it makes me go back. When, when I read verse, verse 5, it makes me take a step back. I'm like, Lord, what do you mean right here? Lord, what do, what do you mean? When he says, I will not blot them out of the book of life, what do you mean, Lord? Well, what does that mean? Because I know that I'm saved through my faith, and we'll look at that right now. But he says he's so strong and pointed. He says, the one who conquers will be clothed thus in white garments, and I will never blot his name out of the book of life. I will confess his name before my father and before his angel. And it makes you just take a step back. What do you mean you're not going to confess my name before the father? And here's what you begin to understand as we, as we, as we dissect this, this passage right here. Is that Jesus, apparently this church, this church started to confess everything else except for Jesus. And Jesus said this in, in Matthew Chapter turn, 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 chapter 10, verse 32 and 33, Jesus said this, everyone who acknowledges me or confesses me before men, I also will acknowledge or confess before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I will, I will also deny before my Father who is in heaven. So 
the church in Sardis must have begun to confess everything except Jesus. That's why everyone said they're alive. Look at them, everything that they're doing. And here's what I need for you to understand. That your salvation and my salvation is never because of works and it's never kept through your works. How do I know that? Because the Bible is very clear about it. Paul wrote this in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 and 9. He said this, By grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not of your own doing. It is a gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. So your salvation is never through your works. It's never through what you do. It's through what Jesus did on the cross. On the cross he bled and he, that blood cleanses every believer of all your unrighteousness and makes you holy unto God. We learned that, right? What will get you into heaven is your confession. And what will keep you out of heaven is your lack of it. In Romans 10, verses 9 and 10, it says this. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be Saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. So here's what I want us to grab, grab a hold of. Our, our, our salvation is through faith by grace. Someone say amen if you believe that. We confess Jesus Christ as our Lord and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, and we are saved. But what can be dangerous for any church is that we start confessing everything else except for Jesus. There's a danger in a social gospel. God never called us to brown pride or black pride or white pride because that's not the gospel. There's a danger in a prosperity gospel. You don't serve God to get rich, and you don't serve Jesus to get well. Those things may happen, but when those things take precedent over your salvation in Jesus Christ and Jesus alone, you're preaching another gospel. There's a danger in a political gospel. Jesus did not come as a donkey. He didn't come as an elephant. He came as a lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And here's the thing, beloved, with a social gospel, when Jesus is first and foremost in your life, it doesn't matter if you're brown, black, or white. What matters is that the blood of Jesus cleanses us of all unrighteousness, and our spiritual blood is all the same. We're all brothers and sisters in Christ. And he bridges the gap. He, he bridges those relationships where, where brown men and brown women and white women and white men and, and, and black men and black uh, women and yellow and whatever color that you are, you socially come together for the glory of God because those barriers are broken down. It doesn't matter if you're rich or if you're poor. We're all rich in Christ. It doesn't matter if a person comes in the doors on a, on a wheelchair or that person is, a, is the greatest physical specimen that there is in this sanctuary, second service. 
God loves them the same. And there's not a barrier. And Jesus Christ bridges that gap and he brings us together. And it does not matter, beloved, if you're a Republican or you're a Democrat or you're an independent. What matters is that Jesus Christ is your Lord. And if you have a political platform that preaches a, 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 a political party, you are not confessing the Savior of the world. If you have a social platform that, 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 that welcomes white people but does not welcome brown people, you're not preaching a gospel of Jesus being primary. And if you don't welcome everybody where they're at, then you're not preaching Jesus and Jesus alone. You need to know that Jesus loves us and he bridges the gaps. And here's the beautiful thing. The beautiful thing is when a Republican or a Democrat or an Independent, they find Jesus Christ as their Lord. And I tell you, as you walk with him, all the yuckiness begins to come off. All the things, the convictions come from the Lord. And if you're following his purposes, you're going to have the, mind, the same mindset for the glory of God. I'm t I, that happens every time. That's what God does. The same thing with, with our social status. When we have Jesus as our Savior, you're my brother from another mother. You're my sister from another mother. It doesn't matter how, wh what gate you have to go through. What matters is that Jesus is our Lord. And we all have a heavenly home that we're going to. And so the church in Sardis... Think about it. They were very affluent. Maybe, just maybe, they welcomed the people that were affluent. And the people that weren't, they were second-class citizens. And Jesus says, you're not confessing me as your Lord and your Savior. You're confessing another gospel. And I will blot you out of the book of life. It cannot be anything but that because we're saved by faith through grace. By confessing Jesus as our Lord and believing in our hearts that God raised him from the dead. And when that happens, your life is changed eternally. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for loving me. Thank you for loving your church. We've learned that you know the motives and the agenda of our hearts. As your church, we choose to align ourselves with your purposes, your motives, and your agenda for our lives and the lives of those that we minister to. And Lord, we personalize it right now saying, empower me by your spirit to not live for the applause of the world, but instead to live my life for an audience of one. To the one who will say to me one day, well done, good and faithful servant. And we pray this together collectively in the name that is above all names, the name of Jesus Christ. And we all say amen and amen. Let's stand up and worship. This has been a message from Living Word Chapel. We hope that you've been blessed by it. Make sure you check out lwcoracle.org for more information.